is Straight to the Source, your destination for food, views and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality and agribusiness leaders. People driven by passion who think outside the box and are positively influencing the food landscape. So, let's get straight to the source with Tonya and Lucy. Hello, and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr. And I'm Lucy Allen, and this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen, or from the boardroom. Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture, and we want you to know who they are, their views, and their big ideas. Hello, and welcome to Straight to the Source. We're coming to you today from Camaragal land, and we'd like to begin by paying our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Our guest today is Sue Hewitt from Singing Magpie Produce, who has a remarkable story to tell. Yeah, she sure does. We met her actually when she first started out. We were down there for a recce, researching a, a chef's tour of Riverland and Murraylands region. So yes, it's, it's, it's a great pl- privilege to be able to spend some time with her just before Christmas and um, hear her story because although Singing Magpie has been going just over four years, uh, what she's accomplished in that amount of time is extraordinary and inspiring, and she's really paving her own way, self-taught. Yeah, she certainly has. She's returned to her roots, hasn't she? And she's Mm. um, most certainly getting the earth back under her fingernails. And I guess what I've learned from, from listening to her story is that she's brought a whole new perspective to their family farm, which has a hundred year history, and she's done it in quite a unique way. You know, she's a bit of a trailblazer within the food industry in a very short amount of time. And I think that's very um, inspiring. And, and, you know, we, we're unearthing innovation and letting the people behind the food tell the story. And, and her story is exceptional. Let's jump in, shall we? Let's do it. So before we dive in to Singing Magpie, can we take a step back and talk about your family and how your family came to be in Monash, South Australia? Well, a hundred years ago, it's actually a hundred years this year, we're celebrating the centenary. My great-grandfather, or Papa as we called him, his name was Amos, Jack Huard. He was a soldier settler, so he returned from World War One and um, originally from Adelaide. So he had never, he hadn't had any farming experience. They, the soldiers were given a parcel of land uh, in Monash. It was lone gum back then, and so they came here, settled. You know, there was no infrastructure. I think the government did help in terms of clearing land for the orchards. They were given olive trees and um, cutting grape cuttings and sent on their merry way, really. So I'm not sure how other soldier settlers' programs worked because there was right across Australia, I think especially the East Coast. Uh, but in the Riverland, um, we it was about 80% of uh, soldier settlers actually succeeded, mm. which is pretty amazing given mm. it really is a desert around here, to be honest, apart from irrigation. And a lot of them didn't have any farming experience like my like my papa Jack. So he was the start of it. He married 
actually the nurse that nursed him in the war. Um, they actually got married, but she unfortunately died early on and then he remarried my grandmother. So my grandmother actually was already an orchardist. So her family is famous for the petty orchards in Melbourne. Um, so she did have some experience in terms of growing things, but together they, you know, built a successful um, orchard with grapes and figs and quinces predominantly. And then my father took over um, with my mum when my when when Jack died in, in 1970. Just it was about a month after I was born. So with the fertility of the soil, is it is it rich in nutrients and it's and it's just the, the water component that was missing or it's yeah look it's red the red red soil. So uh there is lots of nutrients in the soil but you know there's not much structure in terms of just the water just runs away. So you really need to build it up mm-hmm. to retain the water. But with that in place with irrigation in place and so the Riverland is really well known for across the world actually for the costs or the water saving um, in, uh, way that they've built the irrigation around here because we are really a desert without it and the kind of watering systems that have been conservation oh the, no the way that the irrigation has been built um, around here to minimize water use so water's like gold in the riverland and so really people look for every opportunity to m- minimize overwatering and to look at how they build the water the soil structure to obviously support um you know water staying within the soil and um, not being evaporated away and being wasted so the riverland as a region is really world leaders in terms of setting up those kind of irrigation systems and have done it for a long time because we've had to really because there's just never really been a lot of water but that in place with the temperature that we have here uh we can grow we grow a lot of things so did you grow up on the farm? Yes. Yeah. So I grew up, you know, picking figs after school and grapes. We, we all handpicked grapes then. And we didn't have as many quinces then. They sort of were pushed out and then replanted later on. So now Dad has about 200 trees of quinces. And he also planted pecans as well um, just because Dad gets bored along the way. So he does plant lots of little different things as as you know, you've been here. Yes, I have. Yes. He's a very innovative, innovative man and resourceful man. You know, someone who grew up in the depression and so um, fixes everything, doesn't waste anything, and um, you know, and I'm keeps, grateful that keeps absolutely everything. And keeps case. everything. Yeah, that's right. Every washing machine and car owned by a Huard is still on our property. You might need a part or you might need a that, that machinery right. one day. He did and, tell you that, yep, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. So Dad would spend a whole day fixing something rather, you know, fixing an old pipe rather than go and buy a new one. Um, so, you know, there's probably a question about efficiency there. But anyway, he's, you can't, can't say he's not very resourceful. <laughs> so how old were you when you left the property, when you moved to mm. the big smoke? Yeah, so like most of the kids in my year, that grew up on an orchard anyway or a block as it's called around here, the first opportunity to leave, you know, any to get out, then everyone was on the same that same train track. So I went to uni, like I finished year 12 here in the Riverland and then went to uni in Adelaide when I was 17. And that was, you know, I was like, that's it, I'm out, I'm never coming back now. And I did come back 28 years later. 
Well, that's right. Now, your brother, though, he, he did he stay on the farm or did he follow in your tracks? Um, so he left for a few years. He did agriculture and worked in WA for a while. But, yeah, he's pretty much stayed on the stayed uh, here. He, ha- he has a trade, so he's an electrician. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he's just um, he's just resigned, actually. So coming back to the farm. Right, okay. I think is the plan. I oh, sorry, I should maybe I've let that out of the bag. No, I don't know. No, you do know, your we parents have, know? <laughs> Are they going to yeah, know yeah. now? <laughs> we do have a very loose succession plan, but um, yes, that will be good. So from Adelaide, how did you get to Melbourne? Um, so uh, how did I get? Well, no, no, just, I went to that, uni. That was the step, wasn't it? Was as Adelaide? Well, no, no, I went to oh. Sri Lanka in between. So oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I finished a science degree. And was doing a master's in public health in at Adelaide Uni, and then got a position in Sri Lanka with it was called the Overseas Service Bureau then, or Australian Volunteers Abroad, and I worked as a researcher with uh, women that worked in in garment factories in Sri Lanka, like in the free trade zone. So we were we were trying to assess uh, their levels of knowledge of the laws around labour in Sri Lanka, which actually the laws are quite strong. But because most people didn't know that they had a, quite a good legal structure around them to support them, it was never utilised. And um, so, yeah, women really, you know, young, 16 to 19, were working in garment factories a lot of the time trying to advance, like they saw it as a stepping stone to uh, more other careers, but that didn't often happen. So they had really poor working conditions or actually really poor living conditions within the actual factories generally they were very clean because they were producing really quite high-end clothing but for two hours uh, two days straight you know there was no rules about how long they worked for and their their pay was very low and stuff so I did that for two years it was fantastic absolutely fantastic and then came home and moved straight to the mid-north in South Australia as um in I was trained in public health so I went there as a regional health promotion officer so I worked there with a lot of small hospitals for a few years and then I got a job in the health department in Melbourne so then I moved to Melbourne in um, early 2000 and I stayed in Melbourne for I don't know 16 16 years something like that so when we when we did our road trip for four days, and we were talking about you know life's journeys and 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 you know the paths that we take, and and I always remember you talking about Melbourne and how much you loved living in Melbourne, mm. and then the adjustment going from Melbourne to South Australia was that substantial or was that was that significant for you or what was your motive for wanting uh, to move back home to Monash? Well, my motive, I mean, we didn't. My partner's from Melbourne, and my daughter was born in Melbourne. But um, and we love Melbourne. But I think once you have a child, it things got all a whole heap more complicated. <laughs> um, just commuting to work, for example, was difficult. And um, Mark's family was uh, didn't live that close to us, um, so it was really hard trying to manage childcare. And I had a quite a senior position in the cancer council, so long hours. Um, it was just a lot of transition. It just changed. It only changed from, you know, a party couple to, uh, you know, having a young child and it was like, oh, my God, we need to grow up. Anyway, I always had this burning urge at some point in my life that I would come back. And once, you know, once I got over the 17-year-old, I've got to get out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did. I always had this urge that I would come home. Um, I just needed to f- find the right time. 
and I always had an urge to do something with food. Mm-hmm. And because my role was completely different, my, my professional career was in health, I, I, I didn't really, I mean, my role at that time was I didn't focus on nutrition or anything like that. I was actually working the cancer cancer on skin cancer. So we just decided we'd had enough and mum and dad said, well, come home. And we're like, well, maybe we should. <laughs> so um, we just did. I mean, really made a decision. I reckon it was like June 2015 and by November we'd moved home. Uh, well, sorry, no, we moved home actually in January, but by November we were it was when we started to pack and, you know, work out, oh, my God, we're doing this. So we moved home in January 2016 and it was 40 degrees the day we turned up with a big semi with all of our stuff. It was crazy. And the next it was fig figs had started. So the next day we were in the fig shed cutting figs and Mark, he picked or he worked on the orchard for that year. And um, and then that was enough. <laughs> he was like, oh, I'm not. I'm working off farm now. So he does work off farm. And for me, it was a really lovely opportunity to just hang out. And, you know, I had this high-pressured professional job for a long time, so it was really lovely just to work in the shed and pick figs and think about life. And I was lucky enough I could do commercial cookery that year, so um, I did a certificate for in commercial cookery here locally at the TAFE, and it just made me think about what I wanted to do in, in food. And Dad and Mum had said, you know, we're so busy. You know, they grow 40 tonne of figs a year amongst other things with the quinces and the grapes and it's busy and uh, Dad said, you know, we just don't have enough time to dry figs anymore. You know, maybe you should do something about do that because there's a real gap in the market. You know, not many people grow dried figs in volume or in terms of, you know, enough to be able to sell apart from locally. So that's how it started. We um, we sold our first, I don't know, it was something like 50 kilos. That was our first little batch of black Genoa figs on a Facebook post just to friends. We didn't even, you know, we weren't even sure what we were doing. We just thought we'd dry some and sell them and we did that and that's how we started in 2016. Well, formally, Singing Magpie started in, in January 2017, a year later, but we did some testing in that 16 year. So when you moved back to, to the area you grew up, did you look at it through different eyes? Oh, God, yeah, because, I mean, I hadn't lived here since I was 17. I mean, I'd always come home, but, yep. you know, when you're 17, all all, you're, all I was focused on was playing netball, tennis and getting out, you know, going to uni. Yep. So you come back and it, uh, it's like a – it's an amazing fruit bowl. Everything's grown here and the climate is amazing, except for summer it can get really hot. But um, – you know, it's beautiful and diverse and there's so much opportunity that um, I just thought, wow, this is just like, this is a field day. And I'd never sold anything before. I mean, I'd worked in marketing. I'd had a team of people that worked on marketing when I was at Cancer Council. So I I knew a bit about advertising and, and PR and marketing, but, you know, I'd never sold anything before. And I knew how to cook. So and Dad said, you know, people want dried figs, which they do, they did, and they still do. So that was enough. That was kind of the stepping stone. But you didn't dive right into to producing product, did you? Like value added product? Did was it more? Not in that first year. We just so when we we sold that first fifty kilos just to friends, was, really. Was, um, like I said, through was that more of a side hustle? Oh, that was just to see if people would buy dried figs. Really. <laughs> 
And then, um, but we did start seeing Magpie in 2017, but I also worked at RDA as well. So I started the online business first, really not knowing anything. <laughs> I mean, I thought I'd be selling one kilo bags to people um, of dried figs, whole dried figs. And then we started to sun-dry quince, which no one else does. I don't, don't think anyone else still does in Australia. So, you know, we were st- we were really playing around with products. We still play around with products. Like it's always an opportunity to create something new. I mean, the aim for us was to not necessarily grow the orchard by any means. We, we still want to use the same footprint, but how can we get more efficient with what, we've u- what we already grow? Because there's a limited amount of water. So... You know, mum and dad still do wholesale figs and quinces and grapes, but I have added to that in terms of what other products can we produce with the existing fruit we already grow. So we're trying to minimise the waste that we have here and be more efficient with what we can do. So looking at it through your parents' eyes, do you do you sit down and go, okay, well let's we can chocolate and robe these, we can semi dry these, we can sun dry dry this product, and do you sit down and and work with them on on what that looks like, or is it something you present to them and go, hey, look, I've just created the sticky quince syrup. What do you think? Um, it's a, not quite so formal, <laughs> so. The figs, yeah, I mean, the figs was a starting point. The quince, the quince was mum's recipe, the sun-dried quince, so we just spent time perfecting that and it took a little while and now we've got to the point now where actually we some, so you do have to cook the quince before you sun-dry it. So we, I don't have a commercial kitchen, so we do get someone to do that for us now. But we also, with the quince, we had this syrup, this poaching syrup that was left, you know, from cooking that is divine and it was just a waste product and we're like, well, we can't have it as a waste product. So it did take us a while to work out how to do it, but um, we now have that as a product, so the sticky quince syrup, which is, is divine. So in terms of our quince, I mean, every quince that we grow, we now use, whether we sell it to our wholesale whether, you know, Maggie Beer or Berenbergs if they take quinces and then I take the rest um, mm-hmm. in terms of cooking, um, both cook, cooking, hand slicing, drying and selling or like I said with the syrup which was potentially a waste product and now is another premium product. So that was the quince story. The fig story continues to be honest because now we have fig leaves. So we're still in, we're still testing how we'll use the fig leaves. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, a couple of products I've got in mind for that in the future. And, you know, natural progression was because there's a lot of other dried fruit grown here in the Riverlands. So as I set up the online shop, you know, you kind of need more than two products really to make it viable. So I have hand-selected growers, a couple that live near me, and one that lives a little bit further away, but they're all in the Riverland, that produce premium quality fruit. And so that's always been our... Our pitch is that we don't want to sell bulk. We want to sell the best that I can find in the Riverland. So I buy other people's peaches, pears, apricots. And then as the online shop developed, we also now produce, um, do a a whole lot of gift boxes and hampers. So we also do buy other people's plums, um, jujubes, for example, that are grown here. Which are Chinese red dates, right? Yeah, Chinese red dates, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Almonds. And um, citrus. So we have citrus, a few trees ourselves, but I buy citrus from other people. So, again, the whole aim is to use everything from the Riverland to promote the Riverland, um, except for the chocolate. So I do use Belgian chocolate that we, you know, hand temper and chocolate and robe, and they're also very popular. 
So um, it's very exciting to be able to just think creatively out of the box and not think about your produce as a commodity but as a premium, you know, potential for a premium product. So together I feel very lucky because, you know, mum and dad, um, you know, their business is about bulk um, volume, still premium, like the best they can grow. And I've just added in in terms of trying to minimise waste and provide another income stream, which is Sing Maypie, but focused on premium products, so value-added products. So with actual awards, you know, you, you have won mi- – how many awards have you won all up? I actually haven't counted them up. I don't know the answer to that question. On the bottom of um, – okay. Oh, every one of them, <laughs> every one of them is amazing. It, seriously, yeah. it gives you a boost – in terms of feedback, you know, individual feedback for yourself about are you doing the right thing, is it what people want, um, but also, you know, obviously publicly it's fantastic and each ward is different. So we, we did start with um, Sydney Fine Foods. Was I'm pretty sure that was the first one. That's how we met uh, actually. Yeah, that's how we met, yeah. So in that first year of producing the Sun-Dried Quince, we won a champion awards for the Sun-Dried Quince, which, you know, I, at the point at the time I had no idea there was champion awards. I remember I just thought it was gold, silver, bronze. I had no idea at all and I went to Mildura, that's the closest airport, and um, I was flying to Sydney for the awards and you don't know what, you know, you just know that, You've won something, but you don't know what. And I, it was such a fluke. I sat next to a couple that were also going to the Sydney Fine Food Work, like for the same night. I could not believe it. So it was meant to be. And they said to me, oh, what are you, you know, what are you going for? And I said, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going for. And they said, well, did you buy your ticket? I said, no, I didn't buy my ticket. So they said, well, so you've won something really big if you haven't bought your ticket. Like have they even invited you? And I'm like, well, yeah, well, it'll be gold, silver or bronze. And they said, no, no, those awards nights are not for gold, silver and bronze. I'm like, well, what else is there? And so, you know, I was completely unaware that there was even a Champions Award. So, uh, you know, that was pretty amazing. I was completely blown away. It was my first introduction to – and we did win a couple of golds as well that, that year as well. Um, but, yeah, I went there for the Champion Award <laughs> for the Sun for the Sundry Quince. And I believe since then the Sundry Quince has actually got better. Like we've got mm. – we've perfected it along the way because that was re- that was in the first year so um yeah that was but pretty, getting pretty feedback amazing. was that instrumental in in the growth of the product though taking oh the- yeah because you know it's really hard the sun-dried quince is a lot of work man mm-hmm. you got to hand slice so cook it uh hand slice it which is a lot of labor so and then you know sun dry it and then pack it it's all done by hand um but uh, yeah, so it just keeps you going when you think, oh, this is just too costly to do it like this. Mm. But it's not too costly when you find the right customer who appreciates, you know, how much you've gone through and then it's 100% quince. There's no filler. Um, you know, it's different to other quince. Um, well, there's no other dried sun quince, but it's different to quince space, which can have 100% quince or it can have 20% quince depending on mm. the recipe. Mm-hmm. And you're telling that Riverland story and that family story and it's grown on the property. So you have that single origin aspect to it as well. Yeah, well, I think it is unusual. Like there's quite a lot of manufacturers out there doing, you know, that do use Riverland produce, but they're not necessarily from the Riverland and they don't necessarily, you know, live on the orchard and still grow stuff, like take it right through from um, from growing to production. But also as, as your business has grown and you have all this recognition and, you know, people, you know, people are being able to buy your product online as well as seeing it on menus and food service. In terms of employment and helping the community, what is Singing Magpie doing in that area? 
Well, we, you know, it, it was mum and I actually until last, until 2019. Um, mm-hmm. And, oh, obviously dad in terms of growing and, and that, that stuff. But when in he's terms listening of actually, to this, he'll say, hang yeah, on. Yeah, and he'll be like, well, what about me? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, he does a lot, so I should mention him. Um, but we got featured um, very early on in the Bite from the Bush um, life, if people know that campaign, um, back in November 2019. And uh, over, it was a Saturday morning and we just got blown out of the water with orders. Like, I mean, I've said this publicly before, for, it was probably $40,000 worth of orders in a week. And, you know, that was our, that was our, um, our year's worth of sales there in a week at that stage. Um, so suddenly I went, oh, my God, I need – we haven't got any employees. What are we doing? So it was a bit slow in the employee um, sort of empl- – I, you know, you think you can do it all yourself, but I knew – I mean, you really know you can't. And it was the best thing ever. So we put someone on then um, who, has, you know, saved us so many times. He was so good at gift wrapping. And then – so that was in 2019. And then in last year, similar time frame in November, I actually got diagnosed with breast cancer. And I can't – you know, there's a pivotal moment when you that happens in your life where you – and I remember a nurse saying – and she knew I had Sing Magpie and she's like, well, what's going to happen to Sing Magpie? And, you know, it actually makes me cry to think about it now because it's almost a year later. But um, I said to her, I said, I, um, I don't know, we, we might need to stop. Um, but actually, if I can compose myself and tell you the rest of the story, it's actually a good story. But um, <laughs> it made me realise, right, I can't do it all. This is crazy. I need to put more people on. And so, you know, there's lots of bad things about cancer, but actually there's some pretty good things as well. It really makes you step back and think about life. So we put on uh, another two people then um, because I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to work much and um, since put someone else on. So um, it goes back and forward in terms of employment, but um, that growth is so important. Like as a value adder and also as the person who starts the business, you know, you have to get to a point where you step back and go, all right, I need to be focusing on other things. I, I can't always be packing Doing everything, you know, putting the quince in the bag. Yeah. Um, so it's actually been very good for me, um, apart from obviously trying to recover from cancer. To um, think about my role in the in the organisation, um, and hence why there's all these new products in my head now because I can I'm doing that while the other girl, the girls who are much better at it than me now because my hands aren't as nimble now after having chemo. Um, so yeah, we've got a nice little team. Oh, it does vary sort of between two and four depending on who's around and what's going on and. Um, really the next step for us in terms of growth is so we're still working out of our house. So we've got a dedicated space in a house that's food safe and all that sort of stuff. But um, I and need, you to, build we need that to pur- you built that purposeful. Right? Well, we actually bought the house and so we bought the house a couple of years ago and in, in the whole scheme it was like, okay, there's a, someone had set up an accounting business in the front of the house. Mm-hmm. So that became our food packing area um so yeah when when we built the house we were looking for space um 
So, but yeah, my next step is I need to build now. I mean, we need a, a dedicated um, manufacturing space. We've got plenty of land here. I just need to make it happen. So, so what's your, what's your space for next year? Okay. Well, we'll have you back on. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll keep track of you. Um, so what, um, what advice would you give other farmers that are looking to value add? Would it be brand, you know, really? Oh, totally at- brand. Mm-hmm. Totally brand. So that's one thing I see all the time locally is some amazing products. Like the quality of food that comes out of this region, I it still amazes me. Um, but this is my personal experience. I don't always find people spend a lot of money on – they'll buy a new tractor before they spend money on their brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you need a tractor. I mean, I, I you know, grow – I'm my father's daughter, I get it, but you need to spend as much time, if not money, on marketing um, because people buy with their eyes and if you're serious about value adding, you need to have a good logo, you need to have a good brand set, packaging the whole lot. I mean, it doesn't mean you need to spend a a lot of money to start off with though, but, you know, I started with 99 Designs and and got our logo there. and, and I can't. You know, I remember I got a quote for twenty eight thousand to do this whole marketing for me, and you know I hadn't earned a cent. There's no way I could spend that money on marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are other ways, you know, that you can, you know, peel the banana. Is that the right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't have to spend. A, you don't have to but, spend but a your lot of money are front, important. But you do need to spend. You do need to spend money, and you need to continually. You know, you need to. And if you don't have, if it's not your thing, then you need to bring in that support to help you with brand. Um, I think it's very, very important. As as grown up in a family family, um, brand doesn't always come naturally. And, um, yeah, yeah. So if it's not your thing, then you need to find someone to help you. And social media, I think, is so, so But you've also reached out to professionals and gotten advice, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. Well, you were one of them, you know, in terms of I had no idea how to think about food service. I didn't even really know what food service was. Or um, like I said, my first thought was that we were going to be producing one kilo bags of sun-dried fruit. And I couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we don't have enough product now to sell one kilo bags. We will sell out before the new season. So um, brand and supporting yourself with a team of people. So it doesn't have to be paid in, you know, it doesn't have to be paid employees all the time. It can be consultants like yourself, my accountant, done a fair few programs with Food SA, um, you know, to just University of Adelaide, the local RDA runs some programs around value adding. All of those things enrich and enriched me to find out where's my place in terms of seeing magpie. And that still is evolving now, um, you know, in 2021. It's constantly changing. And COVID obviously makes it change because certainly for us, food services really diminished in terms of an income stream. But yep. with that, online is huge. And because shop food you know delis and stuff still can be open that's also a very huge part of our business now so social media you touched on it briefly a minute ago but can we just take a deep dive into it because you mm. you know you often say you're, you're in the middle of nowhere but you will you do love it don't you i love it i like taking photos so you know that yeah. does make it easier but i mean i just take them with my iphone i do have a proper camera but i didn't i don't ever have enough time to work out how to use it so uh, just invest in an iPhone that's got a great pho- photo, uh, you know, 
great camera. And um, but I think also it's a really lovely way to be able to tell people um, or to bring them along in terms of what happens on a farm when you're producing food. Like a lot, and a lot of people interested. They don't want to just know the good side. But when we're in drought, how devastating it is, or you know, we have when we have hail and lose the whole crop and or positive, positively when we've had rain and we're out standing out in the middle of the paddock dancing because there's been a you know great shower of rain so it's just a lovely way to keep connected with people that care and you know and often that's your customers and it's also a good place to learn to to explore ner- learn network totally i mean it's just for me business has never been about competition and now i'm not you know, I get that there's competition and I get that, you know, I have competitors. But really, on the other side of that, there's so much opportunity in terms of collaboration that, you know, social media just provides that medium for that. You'll see something and go, oh, wow, that's what they've just done with their, I don't know, chocolate strawberries I could do with the figs, for example, or, or whatever. You know, you just learn so much and can connect with people that you never thought you would connect with, you know, very Right across Australia, I have friends everywhere. It's really lovely. I mean, I see them as my friends, not just business associates. So it's a very lovely way to deal with isolation when you're in the middle of nowhere as well. So you've mentioned to me a few times about the importance of getting off the land or the block, as you call it, um, you know, it, for inspiration. Do you find that something that you really hunger to do often or, you know? Um, you know, it's so easy to get so busy that you forget um but I also realized since um, particularly since cancer as well that just getting that time to be away whether it whether it is just a whole you know not just a holiday but whether it's a holiday anywhere it could be down the river doesn't you know we can't travel far but anywhere just to get your head clear or it might be it might be something some kind of professional development whether it's a food show or um some kind of training but it just allows your brain to think and be inspired. So maybe, you know, last week we just were in Wallaroo and my natural first thing is to go and check out, well, what's local, what local food is grown around here and what can I taste and how they – and then a natural progression for that for me is always, well, what's their packaging because packaging is the bane of your life when you live in nowhere trying to find stuff. So, yeah, that break is absolutely crucial. And, again, on the cancer bend – Having more staff, allowing you to step away to think about your products and where you want to go and how much you want to grow is really important. So, sure, you spend more on, you know, on salaries, but you should, you get that back in sales. I get back that in, that back in sales because that's my inspiration. That's where, where I'm thinking next. So you just mentioned growth. Is that is that something that's how far do you want to go? Like when you talk about business growth, is it where do you see yeah, singing it's, magpie? It's really a hard one, you know. I'm 51, just 51. Just had cancer and it's like how big do you want to be? We've had massive growth, massive growth in the last 2 years. Um and there's a lot of pressure to just go you know, out of, out of control, go and get a $2 million grant. And, and actually that's the other thing. There's only $2 million grants out there. Where are the $20,000 grants of small growth? Like it's so – There's in terms of small, supporting small producers, I really think there's a gap there in terms of if you're looking for a grant. But anyway, I'll, I'll go to the bank instead. But- For scaling up. So you go from here to 
For scaling up at this, yeah, the scaling up is always massive and I don't want to have a massive loan. Um, I, I do want to grow and obviously you need to be viable enough to make a profit. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's really important for people to, to acknowledge that there's pressure there to always get bigger um, and, and to export. Everyone's asking you to export. We simply don't have enough fruit to export. So me, short of me planting more fig trees, which we would, if we did that, it would be very considered because there's just not enough water. So, yeah, I think it's a constant, constant battle to know where you fit in the market. Um, we do need to grow a little bit. And like I said, we need to, we do need to build some space and stuff. But I'm always very measured in one, not trying to overcapitalize because I think when you're small, you just don't have, unless you find an investor, you know, you don't want to have a massive loan over you because you just, you can't have the freedom to think and be innovative. Um, it's my, it's been my experience anyway. And maintain but, the yeah, quality that you And maintain the quality. I don't want to sell out and, you know, have mediocre stuff but to have the volume I'd have to go from a premium like I'd have to bring in other levels of quality having the best you can produce there's a limit on how much you can do that and haven't you done that well when you think back to your you think back at the 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 dried quince and you look at your chocolate and robing and how everything's evolved and you've maintained that integrity and you keep uh, you know growing the range now you're dehydrating riverland fruit citrus Mm. Mm. That's new, isn't it? Yeah, well, the citrus, so we have trees here and it's just citrus everywhere in the Riverland and it's just in such a natural progression. And also this time of year is when we start to get low in the other dried fruit because we're about to go into the new season in November and onwards. So it seems crazy not to do, and everyone wants citrus in their, their gin. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it seems Gin sales nat- are definitely up in the yeah, last couple yeah. of years as well. So it seems like a very natural progression and it's um, all preservative-free and from trees around us, it minimises waste. So it's a win-win for everyone really. Just, I just needed to actually purchase a dehydrator that was big enough to make some volume. So we've just done that. So that's exciting. It's lovely. It's great. It's just part of that story of the Riverland, really. It is telling that story, and it's also telling your family's story, your history, and the evolution of the of Singing Magpie. Now, how did you come up with the name? Yeah, it was Father's Day 2016. I only remember that because we were all having a barbecue. My cousins were here. It was at our other house, and... Um, I was like Mark and I were doing a bit of a we were doing a business development program then it was the start of thinking about seeing Maypie formally and we're like right we need a name so we came up I've still got the list actually it was probably 50 or 60 all these Silverbush Mallee and all these different names anyway I shortlisted it to four and then our very first event which wasn't really about product but more about brand because we didn't have much product at that point, um, I got people to vote on it. So there was about a 1,000 people at this event. So that was the start of our mailing list and also uh, Sing Magpie Produce got voted number one. So that's what we went with. That was my favourite as well, so that made it easy. <laughs> that made it easy to <laughs> – Yeah. Yeah, and it's been lovely. Uh, lots of people have commented on Sing Magpie as, um, you know, a brand name and a logo and – and we have lots of magpies, so, so it kind of seems quite apt. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So if people want to find you, <laughs> where would you send them? Oh, well, first and foremost, obviously to our website. Um, so that tells the story of us and it gives you an idea of our products and you can sign up for our newsletter. 
um, which is tenuously monthly, <laughs> but um, it is where people find out first about what's new from us. And then following that, there's Instagram and, and Facebook. But that has been, I have to say, absolutely wonderful for us as a business and I thoroughly enjoy using them to tell our story. From from me personally, and actually all of us at Straight to the Source, you know, knowing you, knowing you in a professional level, and working with you over these years, and also just on a on a personal level, it's a, it's just such a a wonderful story, and you've got so much support, and you know, singing Magpie has become front of mind, and and duly deserved all these awards you've gotten, and it's just wonderful to have you on this podcast, and I just want to say, a, you know, a huge thank you for for all that you're contributing to the food industry, and and for farmers out there that are um, looking at maybe you know, creating another value-added product, um, you know, looking at singing magpie and what you're doing is inspiring. So thank you for that. Oh, well, that's very lovely. I mean, I have to thank straight to the source because every time I'm stumped, I'm like, right, what do I do about this? Or not even when I'm stumped, but, you know, it's that constant conversation to say, what's the opportunity here? And I think that's what keeps me going in terms of small business. You don't always make a lot of money. It takes three years to get a or took us three years to get a profit. But it is a passion, you know, and um, it's really lovely to know that Straight to Source is there to kind of go, well, this is how you could do it or this is someone who would be really interested in that. So, you know, that makes it much simpler. You don't have to go and find that yourself. So in the future, who would you like to hear from on a future Straight to the Source podcast, Sue? Who should we invite on? Oh, I really would like to hear from oh sorry this is completely off the top of my head but um you know there's a lot of talk about the future of plant protein i'd be mm-hmm. really interested to hear from local farmers anyone out there that's doing that so um you know the space that what the, what that is what it looks like and it kind of feels like a bit out there. And it's, it's the same on, if you talk about edible insects and stuff like that. It kind of feels like something that's happening overseas. Or, and I know it's not happening overseas, but that it's kind of like this mystical, myth, mythical kind of process. But I, um, I'd love to hear from a farmer that's really immersed in it and, and how, they, how they do it. And where they get the packaging from. I always want to know where people get their packaging from. <laughs> Seriously, it's a constant dilemma is are you on pinterest quite a bit <laughs> yeah like where to get pa- pa- packaging is it recyclable can you get it in australia can someone make it in australia i mean they're my first questions and then you know it goes from there oh, so maybe i need to hear from someone who's had packaging i think packaging is obviously on my mind so something around packaging okay watch the space yeah well thank you thank, thank you, you. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation. You'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes. We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.